0: Let's go back to God in prayer. Lord, we seek you in your word as though we are searching for water in a dry and weary land. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may this word be to us a rich feast, satisfying the soul. Then with our mouths we will praise you, and with our lives we will bless you, our host and our hope. Amen. Our first reading for this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, the first nine verses of chapter 55. Uh, Isaiah is the first book in the prophets. Uh, You can find it on page 635 of the Bibles in front of you. Listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. You can find it on page 906. Again, listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. At that very time, there was some present who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered this way, that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Our Lord and Savior, our rock and our Salvation. May your spirit move powerfully among us that we may hear what you have to say to us today. Amen. Have you ever heard people talking about karma? It's not uncommon to hear my peers talking about how so-and-so did this. Well, karma will come back and bite them in the rear. Karma, in short, is the idea that good intentions and actions result in happiness down the line and bad intentions and and actions result in misery down the line. At its root, at least in the Western common understanding, it's become a semi-spiritual understanding of cause and effect. It's not uncommon to hear, oh, Karma will bite him in the rear. This understanding is not wholly unique, of course. The Judeo-Christian tradition has a history of a similar understanding, where suffering and misery are the result of divine punishment for our sins. We see this clearly in the book of Job. If you remember, Job loses everything he has, though he is a moral and upright man. As he sits in the ruins of his former life, his well-meaning friends sit down next to him and say, Man, Job, you must have really messed up. You must have really done some really terrible things for God to punish you this way. And throughout the story, Job says, I've done nothing wrong. Even though the book of Job largely sets to discredit this notion of divine punishment for our sins, it's still a notion that, that persists. Job's story, despite setting out to discredit this idea, did not stamp it out. It's this very understanding that Jesus seeks to dispel in this morning's Gospel. Despite the presence of Job in the Hebrew canon, this belief that misfortune was divine punishment for wrongdoing still held on through the following centuries. It was present in Jesus' time, and it's still present today. Even though our tradition speaks so strongly against it. Now, there are understandable reasons for why this belief persists, for why it keeps popping up. We're hardwired to look for patterns of cause and effect. We want to believe, consciously or unconsciously, that there is a cause for the suffering that we experience. And that cause must be our own actions. It's easy to develop an understanding of a God who actively punishes us For our sins. It's easy to understand a God who punishes us with misfortunes for not living right. It helps us to make sense of this crazy, unjust world to think that maybe there is some justice to it after all. Maybe it helps us to believe in what has become known as karma, where our own evil actions are revisited upon us by some sort of cosmic divine order. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. He asks his audience, were those whose blood was mingled with their sacrifices any worse than the other Galileans? Were those killed when the tower of Shalom fell on them any worse than the rest in Jerusalem? The answer to both of these questions is no. They weren't worse sinners than the others. They were not being punished for their sins. No, you didn't get into that car wreck because you spit in Susie Peterson's hair back in third grade. No, you didn't lose your job because when you were a kid, you always blamed your little brother for stealing the cookies, even though he couldn't defend himself no you didn't get sick because you spent your high school career bullying the quiet scrawny kid who sat in the back of the class the universe doesn't work that way and god does not work that way now don't misunderstand me this is not to say that sin is without consequence There are many, what I call, mundane consequences to sin. This world does operate on a principle of cause and effect. Sins have very real consequences. There is a sort of ripple effect that sins have. We've been talking about this a lot in our Sunday school class. When we sin against God or our brother and sister... The effects of that sin do not stop with them. Sinning against a brother or sister creates a wound in them, a wound which perpetuates itself by creating wounds in others. Like I've said before, broken people produce broken societies, which in turn produce more broken people. Sin has consequences. There's no denying that. The, wit- the witness of Scripture is clear that sin has consequences. But those qu- consequences are not often the divine retribution kind of consequences that you see in the Greek myths. They aren't consequences imposed on us by an angry God. They're consequences that follow naturally from the system of cause and effect. God has set forth Pilate mixed the blood of his victims with his sacrifices because he was a cruel and vindictive man. The tower in Shalom fell on those Jerusalemites because the tower was not properly built or properly maintained. Sins have consequences. You got into your car wreck not because you spit in little Susie's hair, but because the other driver was not paying attention. You didn't lose your job because you blamed your little brother for things. You lost your job because greed and selfishness crashed the economic system that that led to you being laid off. You're not sick because you were a bully in high school. You're sick because you didn't wash your hands before you ate dinner. We want to try to make sense of the things that happen to us. We want to believe that there is some sort of divine or cosmic cause and effect. That those who suffer somehow deserve to suffer. The universe does not work that way. God does not work that way. And so we are left making sense of the misfortune that surrounds us in this world created by a loving God. To some degree, the mundane effects of our own sin are to blame. Those ripples, those wounds we create in other people. But the truth is that we are often left with the complete mystery of suffering. We are left grasping at straws to make sense of the world around us. However, we also know that God does not abandon us to our suffering. We are not called to wallow in our suffering or to give up when faced with a broken world. Jesus tells the parable of a man who just wants some figs. That's all he wants. He just wants some figs. And when that tree doesn't produce figs, he wants to cut it down. He's angry. That, that fig tree is using up valuable soil in his vineyard. And it's not producing any fruit. It makes sense. He wants to cut it down. But his gardener says, let me focus on it for another year. Let me dig around it, put new soil in let me fertilize it. Maybe it will bear fruit next year. The vineyard owner in this story is asked to take a chance and not give up on the tree that doesn't bear fruit. He's asked to allow his servant to care for and tend the tree in the hopes of letting the tree bear fruit. This gardener who stops his master from tearing down the tree does so because he's open to the possibility of it bearing fruit. Something that he can work toward, but ultimately it is out of his control. When we are confronted with the pain of this world, we may be tempted to ask, why me? We may be tempted to to give up and just sit in the ashes of the world around us. But Jesus says we need to be stronger than that. Like the gardener, we should work at tending the world around us. Maybe get rid of some of that bad soil and bring in some of the good soil. Jesus never taught that we should sit back and accept our fate. Jesus taught that we have a responsibility to go into the world and make it better. We have a responsibility to go into the world and carry the gospel to it. Because this world desperately needs the gospel. Like the gardener, we should be content to labor for God's creation. Fully aware that there are variables that are beyond our control. And that shouldn't stop us. The misfortunes of our lives. And the misfortunes of those around us are not cause for us to give up. They should serve as reminders that we have more work to do. Jesus says elsewhere that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We must not be overwhelmed by the enormity of the task. For each one of us walks the path of Christ. And that is all that we can do. And that is enough. Let us sit with what God has placed on our hearts. Let's go back to God in prayer. Lord, we seek you in your word, as though we are searching for water in a dry and weary land. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may this word be to us a rich feast, satisfying the soul. Then with our mouths we will praise you, and with our lives we will bless you, our host and our hope. Amen. Our first reading for this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, the first nine verses of chapter 55. Uh, Isaiah is the first book in the prophets. Uh, You can find it on page 635 of the Bibles in front of you. Listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. You can find it on page 906. Again, listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. At that very time, there was some present who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered this way, that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down, why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Our Lord and Savior, our rock and our salvation. May your spirit move powerfully among us that we may hear what you have to say to us today. Amen. Have you ever heard people talking about karma? It's not uncommon to hear my peers talking about how so-and-so did this. Well, karma will come back and bite them in the rear. Karma, in short, is the idea that good intentions and actions result in happiness down the line, and bad intentions and, act, and actions result in misery down the line. At its root, at least in the Western common understanding, it's become a semi-spiritual understanding of cause and effect. It's not uncommon to hear, Oh, karma will bite him... This understanding is not wholly unique, of course. The Judeo-Christian tradition has a history of a similar understanding, where suffering and misery are the result of divine punishment for our sins. We see this clearly in the book of Job. If you remember, Job loses everything he has, though he is a moral and upright Man, As he sits in the ruins of his former life, his well-meaning friends sit down next to him and say, Man, Job, you must have really messed up. You must have really done some really terrible things for God to punish you this way. And throughout the story, Job says, I've done nothing wrong. Even though the book of Job Largely sets to discredit this notion of divine punishment for our sins. It's still a notion that that persists. Job's story, despite setting out to discredit this idea, did not stamp it out. It's this very understanding that Jesus seeks to dispel in this morning's Gospel. Despite the presence of Job in the Hebrew canon, this belief that misfortune was divine punishment for wrongdoing still held on through the following centuries. It was present in Jesus' time, and it's still present today, even though our tradition speaks so strongly against it. Now, there are understandable reasons for why this belief persists, for why it keeps popping up. We're hardwired to look for patterns of cause and effect. We want to believe, consciously or unconsciously, that there is a cause for the suffering that we experience. And that cause must be our own actions. It's easy to develop an understanding of a God who actively punishes us, For our sins. It's easy to understand a God. Who punishes us with misfortunes. For not living right. It helps us to make sense. Of this crazy unjust world. To think that maybe there is. Some justice to it after all. Maybe it helps us. To believe in what has become known as karma. Where our own evil actions are revisited. Upon us. By some sort of cosmic divine order. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. He asks his audience, were those whose blood was mingled with their sacrifices any worse than the other Galileans? Were those killed when the Tower of Shalom fell on them any worse than the rest in Jerusalem? The answer to both of these questions is no. They weren't worse sinners than the others. They were not being punished for their sins. No, you didn't get into that car wreck because you spit in Susie Peterson's hair back in third grade. No, you didn't lose your job because when you were a kid, you always blamed your little brother for stealing the cookies, even though he couldn't defend himself no you didn't get sick because you spent your high school career bullying the quiet scrawny kid who sat in the back of the class the universe doesn't work that way and god does not work that way now don't misunderstand me this is not to say that sin is without consequence There are many what I call mundane consequences to sin. This world does operate on a principle of cause and effect. Sins have very real consequences. There is a sort of ripple effect that sins have. We've been talking about this a lot in our Sunday school class. When we sin against God or our brother and sister... The effects of that sin do not stop with them. Sinning against a brother or sister creates a wound in them. A wound which perpetuates itself by creating wounds in others. Like I've said before, broken people produce broken societies, which in turn produce more broken people. Sin has consequences. There's no denying that the, wit- the witness of Scripture is clear. That sin has consequences. But those qu- consequences are not often the divine retribution kind of consequences that you see in the Greek myths. They aren't consequences imposed on us by an angry God. They're consequences that follow naturally from the system of cause and effect God has set forth. Pilate mixed the blood of his victims with his sacrifices because he was a cruel and vindictive man. The tower in Shalom fell on those Jerusalemites because the tower was not properly built or properly maintained. Sins have consequences. You got into your car wreck not because you spit in little Susie's hair, but because the other driver was not paying attention. You didn't lose your job because you blamed your little brother for things. You lost your job because greed and selfishness crashed the economic system that that led to you being laid off. You're not sick because you were a bully in high school. You're sick because you didn't wash your hands before you ate dinner. We want to try to make sense of the things that happen to us. We want to believe that there is some sort of divine or cosmic cause and effect. That those who suffer somehow deserve to suffer. The universe does not work that way. God does not work that way. And so we are left making sense of the misfortune that surrounds us in this world created by a loving God. To some degree, the mundane effects of our own sin are to blame. Those ripples, those wounds we create in other people. But the truth is that we are often left with the complete mystery of suffering. We are left grasping at straws to make sense of the world around us. However, we also know that God does not abandon us to our suffering. We are not called to wallow in our suffering or to give up when faced with a broken world. Jesus tells the parable of a man who just wants some figs. That's all he wants. He just wants some figs. And when that tree doesn't produce figs, he wants to cut it down. He's angry. That, that fig tree is using up valuable soil in his vineyard. And it's not producing any fruit. It makes sense. He wants to cut it down. But his gardener says, let me focus on it for another year. Let me dig around it, put new soil in let me fertilize it. Maybe it will bear fruit next year. The vineyard owner in this story is asked to take a chance and not give up on the tree that doesn't bear fruit. He's asked to allow his servant to care for and tend the tree in the hopes of letting the tree bear fruit. This gardener who stops his master from tearing down the tree does so because he's open to the possibility of it bearing fruit. Something that he can work toward, but ultimately it is out of his control. When we are confronted with the pain of this world, we may be tempted to ask, why me? We may be tempted to to give up and just sit in the ashes of the world around us. But Jesus says we need to be stronger than that. Like the gardener. We should work at tending the world around us. Maybe get rid of some of that bad soil and bring in some of the good soil. Jesus never taught that we should sit back and accept our fate. Jesus taught that we have a responsibility to go into the world and make it better. We have a responsibility to go into the world and carry the gospel to it. Because this world desperately needs the gospel. Like the gardener, we should be content to labor for God's creation. Fully aware that there are variables that are beyond our control. And that shouldn't stop us. The misfortunes of our lives and the misfortunes of those around us are not cause for us to give up. They should serve as reminders that we have more work to do. Jesus says elsewhere that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We must not be overwhelmed by the enormity of the task. For each one of us walks the path of Christ. That is all that we can do. And that is enough.